Morning. You survived spring break. No? Down here this week, I was sitting in my office, and uh, a sweet lady here and comes up here and does a little work. And I won't tell you who she is, so I won't embarrass her, but she had her three kids with her. And it was hard to get any work done with the three kids, and they were, they're all young, young children. And I'm sitting at my desk, and she said, when is, when is spring break over? <laughs> I said, never. They've decided that it is perpetual. It will be ongoing from now on. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. You take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. Your Bibles, your devices, whatever you're using to get there, the person next to you, whatever it is, Acts chapter 2. Let's mention a couple of things to you and then we will get started. When you came in today, did everybody get one of these little cards? Hold them up if you got them. Okay, they're not the doodle on to make airplanes out of. They were nice doodling cards, though. I did just notice the back of them being blank. That's just a reminder of what we're doing Easter Sunday, two weeks from today. God has a sense of humor. Easter is on April Fool's Day. But we'll leave that alone. So, obviously, we're having two services. What I would encourage you to do is you got this when you were coming, and when you leave today... There'll be a whole bunch of them back there at the door, and Chad will have some, and others will be on the, on the way out. Maybe you can pick up three or four more of these and give them to someone you may know that you think is going to go to church on Easter Sunday. They may not ever go any other time. And you can say, look, here's uh, Christ Church. It's where I go, and just want to encourage you, if you're looking for a place to go on Easter Sunday, I'm planning on giving some to a few of my neighbors I know that don't go to church. Uh, no threatening that way, just kind of saying, look, you're welcome, and We'd love to have you and tell them which service you're going to and say, I'll be there at 9.15 or I'll be there at 10.50, whichever it might be, and then you can encourage them to go with you. So you can get those on your way out. A couple other things I do want to mention to you. I really encourage you, if at all possible, on Good Friday, the 30th, that, that coming up, Friday before Easter, we're going to have a joint campus service, both campuses together at the Bartlett campus and some of Peter and some of our, Beth and some of our, our worship leaders are going to be with Marcus and some of those from, from Bartlett. And, and we're going to be there, just have, share the Lord's Supper together as the body of Christ, Christ Church. And it's at 6.30, it's in, in, in your handout you got, 6.30 on Good Friday. I just wanted to personally encourage you, if at all possible, we're going to try to do something like this a couple of times a year. Just come together as the, both campuses together and have a worship service Again, yesterday we had our help day, and it's just so thrilling for me as pastor to go around and watch everybody. I'm so encouraged by uh, the people and, and watching you guys uh, not only just hand out food, but just even kids and teenagers and students, uh, adults of all ages. And I went upstairs, we kind of expanded the clothing ministry upstairs, gave them the whole room as opposed to a closet in the back. And they were just, uh, I went up there and my nephew's wife, I walked in the door and she helps up there on Saturdays. And I walked in the door and she grabbed me and said, Randy, I had a big surprise today. I said, what is that? She said, there are no chairs in here. 
uh, it really helped them to be able to expand that area. So again, we I don't know the exact number, but uh, somewhere two, 250 plus, somewhere between 250 and 300 families. Again, yesterday we were able to provide food for and clothes. And you guys make that possible. And uh, just thank you for your faithfulness. It's really uh, it's a cool thing to see. If you, if you haven't done it, the third Saturday of every month, we're there doing it. It starts about 8 in the morning with the setup and finishes with the cleanup about 1. But really from 10 to noon is when we need the bodies the most. So on the third Saturday of, of any month, if you can make it from a particularly 10 to 12, I know it, it would be very helpful to Chris and, and everybody that's working there. Uh, one last thing I will mention, then we're going get, to get into Acts chapter 2. If you're planning on your child playing baseball, t-ball, coach pit, softball, whatever it might be, they need to get signed up. So Russ can figure out how many we got, and we'll know where we are. So uh, uh, there are forms out there. I've got some. I know there's some out there. Russ will be around. So if you want your child to play t-ball all the way up through uh, whatever they do, so check it out. All right, turn to Acts chapter 2 and grab your hand out if you would. We're going to start today in verse 42. Verse 42. If you'll notice the top of your handout, what we're going to look at today as we continue in our series in the book of Acts and the Great Commission, we've talked a lot about that, what it means in our lives as believers that God commissioned the early church to go into all the world, particularly disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of me. You teach them what I've taught you and I will be with you forever to the end of the age. That was his great commission to the church. Here we are 2,000 plus years later, and that commission has not changed. For them, we talked about last week, the day of Pentecost, it was their birthday. Well, we celebrate that on a daily basis today. Again, 2,000 years later, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are his bride. We are his disciples. We are the sent ones to go out into our world. This was is our time. That was their time, and as we'll see, going through Acts, greatly used by our God to initiate the church age. And we're still in it today, and we'll be in it until Jesus comes back. The Bible also calls it <coughs> the last days, and until the day of the Lord at the end of it. And we get the great privilege for this time, 2018, going forward in our lives till the Lord takes us home as individuals, each of us. It's saved by God, called by God, saved by God, and sent out by God to make disciples. And then when God says, it's your time, he takes you home. And the Bible says, that's the best day of your life, you, you go home. Uh, one of our elders and dear, dear friend of mine, Scott Jones, many of you know Scott, his dad passed away yesterday, early yesterday morning. And just in texting Scott, I know how close he was with his, his father, and in texting with him and, and just, we talked a couple of times. He really didn't want to talk much on the phone. It was hard for him, but we texted a lot. And you could just tell that he was looking back at pictures with him and his dad. And, and just, it's good that we hurt in the sense that that's what makes us unique. We're not animals like animals. We're human beings. We're created in the image of God. We're given a special privilege to be able to emote and to love and have an intellect to think, and to have a relationship with the one true God who created us, created our universe, and then proceeded to send his son to die in our place that we might be 
saved and be his children. And even as our culture and our world, as we in the next couple of weeks head toward celebration of Great Resurrection Sunday, that Passover where Jesus rose from the dead, Easter, whatever you call it, our world celebrates, and yet many don't even know why. Well, we as the children of God, as the church, we know why. Because we are children of God. And we have that incredible privilege and calling on our lives to share that with other people. So we look over the last couple of weeks at the day of Pentecost, when the Lord sent the Holy Spirit and the church was birthed, and that age began. So what we're going to look at today, and then for a couple of weeks, and then on Easter Sunday, we'll go back and look at that first sermon, that incredible first sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. We will look at that. What I want us to look at today, starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is what, how that original church, the first church, they're birthed on Pentecost, and then they start out. And they are our template on how to do church in the local church, that we can learn from them what is true church fellowship. Now, here's where we're going to interact for just a moment. So, I want you to, if you're brave enough, I want you to define, because fellowship is one of those words that we, we use in the church all the time. We like to throw it around, toss it out. We like to say, we like to name our classes koinonia, because that's Greek for fellowship. It makes you, makes you sound very spiritual. You're in the koinonia class as opposed to the, the dudes who don't know what the name of their class is, class. So, or dudettes, either one. So what do you think the word fellowship means from God's perspective? Take a shot. All right, Bill took a shot. That's good, Bill. <laughs> Love each other unceasingly. Anything else? It's okay to, to speak in here. What does fellowship mean? I'm going to give you the, the Greek definition in a moment. But what does fellowship mean? Oh, you're afraid. How many of you have fellowship with somebody else in the room? Oh, a scholar. I like that. To share in common. That is the literal meaning. Actually, the real meaning of the word fellowship, you might want to write this down. It's very deep. I've shared it with you in the past. If you've been to church any length of time, you know this. So get ready to write it down. The meaning of fellowship in Scripture is to get together and eat chicken. You spell it in Greek, P-O-T-L-U-C-K, the transliteration. So let's all say that together. Patala. That's the Italian version for my friend Steve. Patala. Get together and eat chicken. No, Scott hit the nail on the head. It means to share in common. It's incredibly important for us as a body of Christ to understand. And I want us to look at this early church because they are the example that we can learn from on how to do it. How to do it. We'll see the context. It's really important. This church was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We saw it last week. Jesus said, wait at Jerusalem. Not many days from now, you will be... The Holy Spirit will fall on you. You will be filled with it, baptized with it, and you will be empowered to then go fulfill my great commission into you had Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus was talking about us, places like the United States of America that they never even would have known in their lifetime, obviously never knew about, but Jesus knew about it, knew about us. He saw us sitting here in this former old nasty grocery store when he was speaking the universe into existence. He was watching us have church today. Getting a headache? 
That's who your God is. That's who your Savior is, the omnipotent, omnipresent, eternal, immutable God who stepped into space and time 2,000 years ago and died in your place that you might know God in a personal way, be redeemed, and then he says, now just go tell people about me. Make disciples, learner followers of me. That is why the church exists. Our mandate is right there. Go, the Great Commission. Go, make followers of me. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if I borrow a term from vernacular that you hear sometimes today, they were on a mission for God. They really were on a mission for God, not like we use the term today. They were on a mission for God under incredible persecution, the loss of jobs, the loss of status, sometimes the loss of life, the loss of freedom, being in prison. None of that fazed them. We struggle with stuff like my neighbor might not like me if I share my faith with him. They face the very fact that as Jews, we'll see in a moment, that as Jews, turning their back on the Pharisaical Judaism that they'd always known and following this Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, they would lose status, lose the, poss- the ability to, to uh, earn wealth, lose their jobs, lose their standing in their community, and in many cases later, especially in the Nero, to be imprisoned. Watch your families just be torn apart. But they were on a mission for God. They believed. Many had seen, were eyewitnesses of, as we shall see, the resurrected Jesus Christ. That's why we say on Easter Sunday, and everybody will say, he is risen. And the great response from the church throughout history is, he's risen indeed. The fact he physically came back from the dead verified him as exactly who he said he was. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Always have been God. Now you could choose not to worship me, and that's fine. He's given us the right to do that. Adam and Eve even chose not to do, to love God and to choose self, choose Satan's lie. Man's been doing it ever since. But Jesus loves us anyway. Romans 5, 8, even while we were yet in our sins, he died for us. So they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were on a mission for God. They were absolutely enamored with Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they could not wait to tell other people. We'll see as we go through the book of Acts. There's so many great stories. One of them is we tell Peter and John, you can't talk about this Jesus anymore. And they said, well, you can tell us not to. And even if we chose to obey you and not talk to you about this resurrected Jesus Christ, even the stones would cry out. And what they meant by that was, Creation itself is screaming out, this man is God. He, was, he had power over creation because he was the creator. He could change the molecular structure of water, make it something else. He could walk on top of water. He could take a storm, a raging storm, and look at it and say, be still. The wind obeyed him. He was not just another man, not just a great teacher, not an incredible moral, religious leader. Yes, he was those things, but far beyond that, he was God. And they believed it, the template for us to understand. They were committed to being holy, being set aside unto God. They were committed to the word of God. They were committed to worshiping God in the true sense of 
what that means in every moment of their lives. It means to bow the heart before and adore blank. And to them, that blank was Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. They worshiped him. And true fellowship, we're going to look at today, they were committed to each other. They were committed to each other. They persevered in incredibly tough times. During the height of the Cold War, Billy Graham, who recently died, and I was reading some stuff about him, and uh, I was telling you a few weeks ago, I didn't finish the story, but I was standing there ironing uh, one of my shirts. By the way, you need to pray for me. Mary hates the shirt I'm wearing today. And I had to sneak out of the house, and uh, I just kissed her goodbye in my T-shirt and said, I'm not wearing a shirt today, and she missed that part. So anyway... As I was standing there, we have some books on this table, and I was standing there, and one of the books was written by Billy Graham, and gosh, it's probably written 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, but it was, and the title of the book is Nearing Home, and uh, I, I love just reading things that he said and things that he did, and uh, Joni Erickson Tata has an incredible book on heaven, talking about the fact, even though she's been a quadriplegic since 1979, that when she dies, that she, she won't have to work, she just spring around heaven and run around in her new glorified body, and we understand as believers that we go home and it's the best day of our lives and to read about Billy Graham and his mindset and his life. And, and so I was reading this article about him, just recanting some, recalling some things from his life. It talks about during the height of the Cold War that he went to visit, I want to make sure I get the right place, that he was meeting with uh, uh, some communist folks in Russia. And he was, he was catching a lot of flack for here in the United States that he went and he met with the Russians and he didn't use it as an opportunity for politically to explain to them where they were wrong. And they were talking about the fact you've set back the church 20 years. Here's what Billy Graham said. Oh, I apologize. My intent was to set back the church 2,000 years. I love that. Because that's what we need to understand. We want to be the church. Not just another place on the corner that people sometimes, who are Christians, go to. We need to understand the church is the chosen organization, and I don't like that word, but it's the truth, or organism, the body of Jesus Christ that he has chosen to go into all the world and say there is a God, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Let me tell you what he can do for you. They believed it with all their heart. They were united, they were committed, they were united and committed to God and each other, and as a result, history tells us, the Bible tells us, but history itself tells you, they changed the world. They turned the world upside down because they were committed to the resurrected Jesus Christ, and they were committed to each other. Now let's look at the context, look at verse 40 of chapter 2. Setting the context for what we're about to look at today, true fellowship. With many other words, he, Peter, testified and exhorted them, verse 40, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So in one day, this is the day of Pentecost we were dealing with last week, Peter, Peter, Maybe that was his real name. Peter preaches the sermon, and at the end of his sermon, remember, they're all Jews. They're all there celebrating Passover into Pentecost, that great festival that Jews still celebrate today. 
in one day, the church grew from 120 to over 3,000 brand new converts to the gospel, followers of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, the church was just full of people in Jerusalem, primarily, almost exclusively, probably exclusively Jews. Publicly, this 3,000 people who were Jews turned their back on all that they'd ever religiously done and publicly baptized, publicly identified with Jesus Christ. Please note the historical context. Fifty days prior to this day, Pentecost, what were those same people doing? They were screaming out what? Crucify him. Crucify him. We'll take Barabbas. Crucify that Jesus. Fifty days later, God has just on that day, we talked about it last week, shown them miraculously that the Holy Spirit has fallen on this 120 people and they've got a message that you need to hear. And even though it was dangerous for them in many ways and it was going to cost them, Peter shares with them about this Jesus, this resurrection of God from the dead, what he can do for you. And they, 3,000 of them turned trusted that Christ, publicly identified with him, and came into the church. Now, on a very practical level, the apostles got a serious dilemma on their hands. What is it? What in the world are we going to do with these people? We got 3,000 of these people that are here to follow us, and we don't even know what we're doing. Years ago, when we first opened the Bartley campus, we were meeting in a rent building at Yale and Austin P. and it was about 250 of us. We, when I came to work, they were, we were just beginning to build, came to the church staff, we were just beginning to build what is the Bartley campus now at Yale and Bartley Boulevard. And we had the rent building at Yale and Austin P. And on staff were Brother John, myself, and a man named Jim Kaler, who I, I love. Jim Kaler one of my heroes. Jim did children. Brother John was the pastor, and, and Randy did everything else. Whatever anybody didn't want to do, Randy did, and we had a part-time uh, worship leader. About 250 of us. The day, and I still remember, it was in June of 1984, the day we opened the campus in Bartlett, we went from 250 to 750 in one day. And we had a meeting on Monday, and I, Brother John said, what are we going to do? He said, he said, Randy, you better figure it out. So when we spent the next 34 years trying to figure it out, but it was cool, it was fun, and we were excited. I remember 1985 driving around, we were giving away a Camaro. Something, Brother John, crazy idea you had. We're going to give away Camaro, get teenagers to come to this concert. We're going to give away a 1985, it wasn't a 1985 because it was like a 1970. It, just, it was a piece of junk, but it had been given to us. <laughs> it was the kind of thing I would drive, but... I'm driving around like Bolton High School. I knew the principal there because I'd known him at Kirby High School, and he would let me come at lunch. So I'd drive that thing. We had a big sandwich sign on top of it, and I, mean, I looked like some fool driving around in it. Some, I was 30. I didn't care. Man, I, I drove it to Bolton High School, and I would park, and I'd go in there and eat lunch and, and hand out these flyers. You come, we're going we're gonna to give this. And we gave it away. We had about 800 kids come to that concert, and 
And we ended up with like 200 of them going on a trip with us. And God just, you know, we did crazy stuff. Just, all right, God, what are we going to do with these people? Now, look at the dilemma they got. What are we going to do? We got all these new people. What's our commission? We're supposed to make disciples of them. Jesus told us to teach them what he's taught us. Make them learner followers of him. They were committed, as Bill said a moment ago, they were committed to love them, no matter what. They were committed to teach them. And they were committed to disciple them, to help them grow. That was their commission. Now, how'd they do that? Because here's the first thing, last thing we'll say about this, and then we'll move into some of the details. Think about it for just a moment. Because these Jews came from all over for Passover. They had to come to Jerusalem. They're now there for Pentecost. For Passover. They came to Jerusalem for Passover. They're now there for Pentecost, 10 days after the end of Passover. So you got 3,000 people. We saw last week, they were from all points on the compass. Do they all know each other? Do they all hang out together? Their friends all go to school together? No. You had 3,000 new people coming into the church. They don't know each other, they're not friends. They don't have all these common bonds. Many of them are going to go back other places. They had to teach them. They had to prepare them. But here's an important, very important point in understanding fellowship. They had to accept each other. The differences, some people have beards, some don't. Some people don't want to grow one because it's a coat of many colors on his face. Some people have different theological backgrounds. So it's important to let the word, you teach the word, let the word say what it says and realize there are going to be some things that you can agree to disagree on. If you grew up Methodist or you grew up Episcopalian, if you grew up Baptist or you grew up Catholic or you grew up whatever, there are going to be things you've been taught. And the things that aren't the essentials, we've got to be able to disagree on those but not be disagreeable and then come back to, okay, what does Jesus want us to teach them? So notice what they did. Number one, they were daily devoted to several things. Look at verse 42. 42. Get all these new people. They continued steadfastly or daily in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued. They were daily devoted to, continuing daily. Please note that phrase. How often did they do church? Not just once a week. They were involved in each other's lives all the time. Perpetually, they cared about each other. They were involved. And you'll see here exactly how they did that. Continually, the literal language is, the original language is, they were continually devoted to one another, and it literally means the word for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to help in time of need. It literally means they were continually devoted to stand beside each other. What had just fallen on them and empowered them to do this? The Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised has fallen on them. They've been filled And now God has given them 3,000 new people to minister to, to begin to fulfill that great commission. And they were committed to doing that. They were faithful to their new faith. These people had a desire, no matter what they were going to, how they were going to be persecuted, and the disciples 
were committed to them. The picture in the original language as you read through it is like this. It was a two-way street. That the thousands who God had brought in and saved were committed to following the disciples. And the disciples were committed to what? Teaching them. Educating them. Mentoring them. Modeling for them what their new faith was about. Or in other words, to disciple making. Teaching them about Jesus. So they had this two-way street. Now, what were they daily committed to? Number one, verse 42, they were committed to teach them God's word or the apostles' doctrine. Verse 42, they continued or they were daily devoted to each other. Number one, in the apostles' doctrine. All these apostles were Jewish. So here's what they're teaching the new converts. They were teaching them the Old Testament, what you and I would call the Old Testament, what they called the Scriptures, they would take them back to the Scriptures, just like Jesus had done them, done for them. They would take them back to the Scriptures and say, all right, when Moses here was referring to the Passover, when the Jews left Egypt and you had to pass over the death angel passing over and then setting up the perpetual reminder of Passover, which we have just celebrated 50 days ago, Pentecost now is here, and we celebrated Passover and first fruits, unleavened bread, all of that part of Passover. When Moses was doing that, showing that to us, and then writing it down for us in Exodus, and then in Leviticus as he lays out the priesthood and the tabernacle and later the temple, all of that was a precursor, a shadow, and a picture of Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Passover lamb. Let me explain to you why. And begin to take them through the scriptures. Because as Jews, they revered the scriptures. That they would read Psalm 22. So now they take them to Psalm 22. And they read it together. And he says, see here it's talking about Jesus on the cross. See here it's talking about his rejection. Take them to Isaiah 52 and 53 where it says, by his stripes we're healed. Here's what he did for us at the cross. When they scourged him, beat him, Beyond recognition, by his stripes, we're healed. He went to the cross so that we could be saved. Then first fruits, they would teach them that first fruits was a picture of the resurrection. On and on, that's just one example. Jonah, they would go to the story of Jonah and say, remember Jesus said as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days. That was a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and Resurrection. You remember when Jesus said, destroy this body, and in three days, I will raise it up. Example after example after example. Remember in Numbers, they'll go to Numbers, when Moses held the serpent up on the pole. Said, those who looked at God's provision, the serpent on the pole, were not did not die when bitten by the poisonous snakes because they looked to God's provision that was lifted up. Jesus said, even the Son of Man, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. So how am I, how do I escape death? I look to Jesus on the cross, lifted up for my sins. You see, they were, they were look at verse 42 again. They were continually, daily devoted to the apostles' doctrine. So they would take them to the scriptures, teach them the scriptures, 
teach them the scriptures in life. The Pharisees would read scriptures. They read them in a synagogue all the time. But they never talked about Jesus being the Messiah. They didn't believe it. They didn't understand it. They missed it. Remember the story of Nicodemus, who was the number one teacher in all Israel. He was the teacher of Israel. The others came to him to learn. And Nicodemus went to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? What did Jesus say? You must be what? And Nicodemus' answer, who was the most learned man in the Sanhedrin and in all Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, what was his answer? You mean I got to go back inside my mother's womb? They missed it. So now the disciples will say, here's what Jesus taught us about from the scriptures, about himself. Let us teach it to you. I love this, and here's why. Right over there, across that hall, what are they teaching those children? About Jesus, about scriptures, about principles. They're beginning to teach them so that they can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and begin to be discipled. What are you doing in your homes with your children? It's an incredible proof. What do we do across the street with students? Russ and, and the ministry partners with him in the student ministry pour themselves into those precious, incredible, hard, hard, I don't know how a middle schooler survives life anymore. I don't know how middle school parents survive life anymore. Except you understand that God's given you something precious to disciple, to pour yourself into, so that when you're gone, what can they do? Pour themselves into their children. It's been going on for 2,000 years. It will go on until Jesus comes back. From generation to generation, the Bible, God says, I am. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. I hope you're getting goosebumps. If not, I'll share some of mine with you later. So the apostles' doctrine. Remember in the story of of Ruth, the book of Ruth, and and, Ruth. We're not going to go through the whole story, but there's that great passage in there where Ruth, Naomi, her mother-in-law, is saying, you you and your your sister, sister sister-in-law, Orpah, need to go back. Go back because her sons are dead. Here's what Ruth says to Naomi. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Those people in the early church got that. We're not going to go back. By the way, if you study the ancestry and the lineage of Jesus Christ, Ruth is in that line, the Messiah, the hand of God. The early church got it, and no matter what we face, we're with you. Where you tell us to go, that's where we're going. Your God is now our God. We're following Jesus, and many of them knew they were going to lose their lives for doing it, and they did. Read the history of the early church, the martyrdom, and how they died. Well, it'll, it, will, it will convict you, if nothing else, about how deeply do I love my Savior. They sure did. Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, the one he was discipling, to carry on when he was gone, 
Paul wrote these words to Timothy in in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you instruct the brethren, you, Timothy, as a leader in the church, instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Timothy had been with him. Paul had taught him. Paul had brought him along. Timothy had learned from Paul. And now Paul is saying, okay, now you take the baton and you do what I've done for you. Till I come, these things that command and teach, till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, to doctrine, teaching. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So for those of us who are leaders, elders, those of us who lead the church, it's incumbent upon us to make sure the church is involved in learning God's word. Not Bible study just to get together and eat chicken. To learn God's word. And that we take heed to ourselves to make sure we're in it. That we're learning it, that we're growing, that we're modeling it to those that God has given us charge over. That it's important. Because the church is the only thing that will ever change a world. We could try everything else, but only Jesus Christ can change a heart. A lot of people could turn over leaves, can make commitments. Jesus gives you a new life. He didn't make you, he didn't have, you don't, don't turn over a leaf with him, you rise from the dead. You become a new, you get a new life, resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. So they taught them God's word. Second, verse 42, they shared with them. Verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship, they shared with them. That's what the word means, Scott said earlier, to share in common. Again, 3,000 they've grown by in one day. Mostly strangers to each other. And the word share in common here means as partners in fellowship. Partners. So what do these new people need? Think about it. Remember what we said. What they're facing. What they need is a community. I hate to throw that because everybody likes to throw that word around. But they needed it. They needed to know they had a place where they could be safe. They had a place where they could be taken care of. They had people that cared about them. What they needed was a church where their differences could be talked through, they could be accepted, they could be loved, and they could know that someone cared about them with no strings attached. When you study love in in the New Testament, agape love, the highest form of love, it basically comes down to this. You love people because they are. No strings attached. not trying to get anything from you. I just love you. Because you're here. These 3,000 new people needed to understand and know that it's safe for me here. They're going to love me. And as I try to follow their Jesus, they're going to show me how. And they're going to be there to take me by the hand. That's what church is. I was talking to a dear friend of mine yesterday. Yesterday. Just calls me out of the, I haven't talked to him in a year. Maybe longer. And he just called me, and he, he was really struggling in his church because he had brought some people into his church, and he's in a leadership position, and they were a different color than the other people that were in the church. They happened to be black, and everybody else in the church was white. And he was catching all kinds of grief and flack 
because he was loving and accepting black people. And I think, why, you know, now you understand why the world doesn't really want anything to do with church in many cases. And I was just sharing with him, man, you're doing the right thing. Just do the right thing and see what God's going to do. Because God is colorblind. He, he, just, he just loves people. He just loves them. And that's what the church is. It needs to be a safe, these new people, all these different backgrounds, they just need to know they're going to share with us. They're going to take care of us. They're going to love us. In 1 John, the Apostle John, who was there that day, writes these words. That which we have seen as the apostles and heard as the apostles, we declare to you, you may also have fellowship with us. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what the apostles were going to share with all these new converts was their personal eyewitness experiences, particularly the 11, spending three years with Jesus Christ. Watching him do incredible things. Hearing him teach with authority they never heard. No one had heard. Seeing him bring people out of a a corpse to come walking out of a graveyard because he called him by name and said, Lazarus, come forth. We got to see that. We were out in a boat in a terrible storm and we got to see him come walking on top of the water to us and then telling Peter to get up out of the boat and come to him. We got to see those things, experience them, hear them, watch him heal repeatedly, but constantly bringing us back to his kingdom, his kingdom. And even though we don't understand everything, we know he came back from the dead and we're totally committed to following him with our lives. Remember, Jesus had told them earlier, just prior to being crucified, Jesus had said this to them. You say you want to follow me. If you do, deny yourself, take up what? Your cross, and then come follow me. If you lived in Rome 2,000 years ago and somebody told you to pick up your cross, where were you headed? You carried your own cross to the public thoroughfare where you were crucified. What Jesus was saying to them, is, and, and those who heard it that day, most of them, if many of them, were also killed for their faith. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Then understand, it very well could cost you your life. And now in Acts chapter 2, what you're seeing is they're okay with that. We're cool with that. If it costs us our life, our lives, we're fine with that. These new people needed to understand that. They needed to see it, and they needed to know what it meant to be committed. And then the next thing, and we'll stop with this, verse 42, they worshiped with them. They continued in the doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. As human beings, we were created to worship. Pride and sin causes us in most cases to worship self instead of God. Romans 1 talks about that. And that's where we are as a culture. We've reached the point that man worships the creation rather than the creator. We worship self. We were created to worship something. God wants that something to be him. That void can only be filled by him. So they did two things. 
on a daily basis, the church had this overwhelming high view of God. So he spent time in the breaking of bread, and that is a reference in the early church of them celebrating the Last Supper, that Passover meal that Jesus had with them. On a regular basis, they got together and they celebrated. Yes, they ate meals together. They even ate chicken together. But they also celebrated the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, these new converts, they'd eaten Passover meals their whole lives, but no one had ever explained to them what it meant. That it was the blood of Jesus Christ, not the blood of bulls and goats. That it was the body of Jesus Christ, not a sacrificial lamb on an altar. It was the Jesus on the cross. It's a whole new meaning for them now. So regularly, they were, that was a symbolic reminder to them. Jesus' blood, Jesus' body, that's what saved you. And in prayers, daily pursuit of the provision of God. They were committed to each other. They were committed, daily, devoted to each other. To ask questions and let us talk about it. If you're confused, let's talk about it. Let me walk you through this. They loved each other. They cared about one another. Both ways. The disciples wanted to mentor them, and those people were desperate to be mentored. Teach us the truth so we can live it. Let's pray. Father, we pause before you, as always, as our God. The one who created the universe, the one who says to us, I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That through that son, we can have eternal life. So Father, we thank you that a world that's desperately in need of hope, of of confidence in the future, We can share that with them through the person of Jesus Christ as Christians. So for those of us who are born again, Lord, remind us, encourage us to live our faith and share our faith because it alone will change people. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not a believer, that this might be their day where they say, oh, this is not just religion. This is life changing. Jesus died for me. And they would say to Jesus, thank you. Forgive me. Save me. I want to follow you. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and I'll be down here if you'd like for me to pray with you.